Seven's a good number. So, Father, as we come to your word today, we just submit to you. We submit to the the work of your spirit. We submit to your word. And we ask that you would encourage us where we need encouraging, that you would bring revelation where we need revelation, understanding where we need understanding, God, that you would continue to work in all of us. God, we ask that you would align us, recalibrate us, adjust us where we need that, God, for your kingdom purposes here in Bundaberg and this region of Wide Bay. And the people said, Amen. So about, about uh, we came here um, full time. We came here eight years on the back of my father passing away. We came here eight years ago last December full time. Eight years. You know, we came with a definite call to Bundaberg that we could not get past. And so I'm, I'm going to probably bore some of you with some of the details, but for some of you, you've probably never heard some of these things before. And then we're going to get back into Scripture. Is that okay? So one of the things that, that, that happened was is we just couldn't get away from Bundaberg. We'd been pastoring, you know, churches in Tasmania for the best part of 15 years or so, uh, a little bit more, and we just felt that God was calling us to Queensland. That, that was the first thing. Well, Queensland's a big state, isn't it? So we got out the map and we started to pray over the map. We started to pray over different cities. We started to pray over different places and we soon went, no, 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 no. And we got left with two or three places. In the midst of that, God just started to speak and Bundaberg was one of those places. In the midst of that, God just started to speak through other things. I was flying elsewhere and I was flying on a Qantas plane. And you know they have those magazines in the back pocket that says Spirit of Australia and they're little magazines that change every month or two that you read. And I opened it up and the middle page of that magazine was said Bundaberg Feeding a Nation. And as soon as I read that, there was tears just flowing from my eyes. And then on, and then on the back of that, there was a guy back in Tassie who, who, who had been praying for us for three years that God had been telling him, Bundaberg, 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 Bundaberg. But yet God told him, don't tell Tim and Bonnie. So for three years, all he said to us was, God's got me praying for you, but I can't tell you what about. And he would just, he would just feed that. Every few months, God's got me praying for you, but I can't tell you what about. I'm like, what? Anyway, then one day out of the blue on the back of all that, he rings up and he says, I woke up this morning and God said, I can tell you. He said, the Lord laid on my heart three years ago, Bundaberg, for you guys, and I believe that's where you're meant to go. We then submitted it to the pastors in Launceston, and we had a whole bunch of them. I've still got the picture on my phone. Salvation Army, Baptist, Pentecostal, Church of Christ, Anglican, Uniting, you name it, they were there and they laid hands on us and they sent us from the city of Launceston to the city of Bundaberg. One of those people was Mark Crawford who comes up. Another one was Richard Holloway who some of you have met. He hasn't been back for a while but, you know, that's the basic story. There was other things that I don't want to get into all of them today but for us, Bundaberg was on the Lord's heart, and I couldn't get past it. And when we came here and we recognized how hard Bundaberg was spiritually, we wanted to leave. Has anyone else had that 
thought. In fact, in the first little bit, I think I wanted to leave 564 times. No, I just... It was, it was difficult. There were so many difficulties. But I couldn't get... I couldn't shake it. I actually had an offer to go and pastor a church in Brisbane. But I, and I was like, no. And, it, you know, whenever that kind of stuff would happen, when the carrot was dangled out there, it actually caused me to have a greater resolve. No, we're meant to be in Bundaberg. Every time we were asked to go and do other things, we kept coming back and go, no, we're meant to be in Bundaberg. No, we're meant to be in Bundaberg. No, we're meant to be in Bundaberg. And eventually we met Bruce and then we started meeting some others and we started to pray. And we spent nine months roughly in prayer together as a group before we started Restoration Centre. The foundation of, of this is prayer. And I think we need to understand that because when you're a part of it, you need to be a part of it. Now, that doesn't mean that you may not come to every Friday night prayer meeting, but I would encourage more people to make the sacrifice to come to Friday night prayer at least every month. But we are a people of prayer and we're called to be a house of prayer. Because prayer is about dependence upon God. As I've said before, there's multiple dimensions or multiple aspects to prayer. There's all types and there's messages in themselves. But one of it is, as, as, as a people of prayer, it shows that we are dependent upon God. We're not trying to manufacture something. The very thing about the building was about prayer. That God gave us a word and he said, someone's going to come to you and, and uh, break covenant with you. And you're going to have a building that you're not going to have to pray for. You know, it's really easy when people... People come to us. Within four weeks of starting Restoration Centre, I had a major denomination in Australia ring me up and say, we've heard you planted a church in Bundaberg. We would like to give you $150,000 if you join our denomination. And I went, oh, yuck. No, sorry. I didn't have to pray about it too long because it was a clanging in my spirit. But that's the kind of world that we can live in that can be almost like corporate and CEOs and businesses. There's different denominations, want a church in every city and town in Australia. We just need the kingdom of God. We just need to seek first the kingdom of God. We just need to do what he wants us to do in here. And what God wants to do in Bundaberg is, is similar but different to Harvey Bay. It's similar but different to Mackay. It's similar but different. There's differences because there's a unique DNA in what God is doing in Bundaberg and he wants us to partner with him. And I couldn't get past the fact that Bundaberg had a seed in it that was planted long ago for a move of God that cannot be explained but had been lying spiritually dormant and it needed to be uncovered it needed the dirt and the grime it's a bit like the quarreling over the wells over Abraham's wells where they'd come and try to redig it but there'd be quarrels and quarrels and quarrels but there's a seed in this land there's a seed in this place that God wants to do something that's not Brisbane he wants to do something that's not Melbourne he wants to do something that's not America he wants to do something here that people will go look what the Lord has done in Bundaberg The name restoration was not our choice. And you know what? Names are so important. Did you understand that names are so important? You know, I remember, you know, I go, oh, Timothy, my, my middle name's Richard, just like Tim Hooper down there. We're two Timothy Richards side by side. But we do have different surnames, okay? So you shouldn't, we don't quite look alike. So he's a bit bigger than, he's a bit taller than me, like his kids. 
Anyway, names are important. Names are important. They carry significance. Timothy means honoured of God. Do you know what your name means? The name, you know, restoration was not just a name. God said it is a prophetic declaration. Because it's time to see things restored. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, it says that he must remain, Jesus must remain in heaven until the restoration of all things. Jesus is coming back. Do we know? Jesus is coming back. As surely as he, as he came the first time, he's coming back. But there's some things that God is doing in the earth. Restoration was a name. It was a prophetic, powerful declaration. It was a mandate. I could make it simple that it's the restoration of Christianity the way that it should be. And sometimes along the journey, we just lose our track a little bit. Church growth happens. Things happen. Other things happen. And at times, we just kind of go a little bit like that. You know, it's time for us, before we enter into the building, just to reset some things. In every way, to reset some things, to put some things in, you know, just to re reinforce some things that God spoke to us all those years about and to make sure that the main thing is still the main thing. Is there an amen? You see, there's so much different in Scripture to what we often experience in church in this nation. The church is who, it's not what. We don't actually come to church. Biblically, that's not correct. We don't come to church. We gather as the church. So, you know, we get up in the morning and Malachi says, you know, is it Amen Day today? That's what he says. Is it Amen Day today? And I said, yep, we're going to gather as the church. And so straight away, He's getting it. We're gathering as the church. We're gathering as the church. We're gathering as the, as the church. You see, the traditions of man have built things up in our mindset that make us think a little bit differently to what the Word of God is. We are, amen? It's like, it's like the word Christian. You know, as, as you've heard me preach about before, you know, because people go, oh, I'm a Christian. It means like Christ. That's why the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That they were born again and they were discipled. They were invested in. They were invested in. And there was, a, there, was a, there was a work of the Spirit that was happening in their lives. That they moved from being just disciples to becoming Christians. And I think we use the word Christian too lightly. I think we, that the terminology that we read in Scripture that they were disciples... And they grew and they grew and they had, had ministry and they had the teaching of the apostles and all this stuff. And the Spirit of God was moving amongst them. And it says that the, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. What took place in that three-year period or whatever it was? What, what took place? I tell you what took place. The Spirit of God was moving in such a way that people grew up rapidly. And all of a sudden, they started to go, wow, these people are like Christ. We shouldn't call ourselves a Christian. Someone else calls us a Christian. Because what they're saying is, when I look at Narelle, I see Christ. She's a Christian. She's like Christ. Isn't it?
There's so many things about restoration and we haven't got time to unpack them deeply because we would be here, like in Scripture, we'd be here till the sun goes down. The restoration... So, the restoration of stuff, like fivefold ministry. You know, the thing about... Because it says in Ephesians that, that, that the Lord gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And the thing that we've got in our, in our language today is that everyone's called a pastor. And that just puts a, puts a thought pattern in over people of what they should be. We call people who are apostles pastors, and we wonder why that they're not. We call people who are prophets pastors, and we, and we wonder why they're not. We call people who are evangelists pastors, and we wonder why they're not. Do you see the confusion that gets caused? Because we don't want to get, you know, get called other things because there are some false stuff going on, you know. But, but because of that, we shy away from it, and we call everyone a pastor, but God hasn't graced everyone in leadership that way. He's graced some apostolically. He's graced some prophetically. He's graced some, you know, evangelistically and pastors and teachers. And even in pastors and teachers, some are really pastoral with some word and others are really word with some pastoral. But because we don't understand it, we've created this confusion in the body of Christ and people calling themselves things that they're not and all kinds of things, expectations of certain people going on that it's not them. They're not graced for it. It's not who they are. And so we cause problems in churches and in church leadership because we expect someone to be a certain way when it's not the way that they're graced. And that's why the restoration of fivefold ministry is critical because we need all five functioning together. Then there's no lack. There's no lack. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and teacher are operating together and there's no lack. We have to get past the one-person ministry model. That was one of the things the Lord said to us. It had to be team. We've got to build team. And we've got to get back into that in various areas. It has to be team. Because it would be like it would be like just eating one type of food without the others. Your food groups. It'd be like having carrots with nothing else. I'm just trying to visualize it. I was going to say it would be just like having steak with nothing else and then I realised we had a couple of people on the carnivore diet so I couldn't really say that, but now I just did. But anyway, you know what I mean. It was about the restoration of the ministry of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom. Because the message of the kingdom has, has, has got lost. It's been called the message of the church, but the church is not it. The church is the messenger and the message is the kingdom. Jesus said in John 18, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't operate. It doesn't happen the way that the, the things of this world does. It's completely different. And Jesus came preaching the message of the, I didn't hear that, kingdom, the message of the kingdom. He said, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. But we've mixed up the church and the kingdom so that we don't fully understand the kingdom of God. 
We come to Jesus. We're born again into the kingdom. And we become part of the church, the ecclesia. We've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. There's so much about kingdom. It's not just that our mindset is, 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 is confined by these walls. Kingdom means that we believe that God wants to transform and move in every area of society. Amen. He wants to see education. He wants to see government. He wants to see these things. Why not? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are on the offensive. We're not on the defensive. And we need to, you know, the reason, you know, I think about stuff sometimes. It's, it's a bit dangerous. But one of the things that I'm convinced about is that Christians are the spiritual barometer of any nation. And the reason Australia is where it is, is not because the sinners need to repent, but because Christians need to repent and come back to Christ. Because we are the spiritual barometer. If we want to see change, then we need to come back to Jesus. And we need to lay our crowns down at his feet. And we need to be wholly abandoned and live as heaven on earth. His kingdom come, his will be done. But the message of the kingdom is about governmental order. It, it is about structure. It's about, it's about all kinds of things. And we've, we've done messages in the past about the kingdom of God, so I won't sit there too long. It was about the restoration of the presence and glory of God. And that might sound, well, that's obvious, Tim. But you know, right across the place, there are more people concerned with the coffee than they are with the presence of God. Some churches are known by how good their coffee is. I don't want us, God doesn't want us to be a place that is known by how good our coffee is or isn't. We need to be known by the presence and the glory of God. Moses said, unless your presence goes with us, we will not go up from here. And in fact, he went further than that and he said, thank you, Lord, now show me your glory. And we read throughout Scripture that we are to be a people of his presence and his glory. And that just doesn't happen in here where we have a good time and there's, a, there's someone gets healed and someone, you know, falls in the spirit and we feel joy. But we are his presence and his glory carriers. When you leave this building, when you go to Hinkler or Pacific or Coles or the beach, wherever you are, what a great testimony. Someone walks past Claire and Tracy's house and they experience the goodness of God's. Well, there's glory right there. The building, God's given us the building in Tantitha Street, a place where drugs are exchanged overnight and even prostitutes. What a great place to be. Let's see the presence and the glory of God break out there. The worship of Jesus. It needs to be the worship of Jesus. There's a restoration of the worship of Jesus. You know, because sometimes the churches, you know, people come in and go, oh, I didn't like that song today. Gee, that music, I don't really like that music. You know, let's just make it about Jesus. And hopefully you see that in the songs that we sing. It's about Him. It's praising Him. It's declaring Him. It's worshipping Him. We want people to leave this place hearing Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because when He is lifted high, He will draw people to Himself. We want to worship Him. Jesus said, you know, those that worship him in spirit and truth, it's not confined to a mountain or a temple. It's not confined to a place or a location or a time because we are to worship him in spirit and truth. Our very lives are to be lives of worship unto the king. 
We don't want to be a people of just Sunday Christians where people just come and get their ear tickled and then leave this place. No, we want to see people build up and strengthen and encourage to be all that they're meant to be to make a difference for the kingdom of God in this city and this region. Is there an amen? You know, the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, this is burn, this burns on my heart. This burn on my heart. Because there, there's so much of the Pentecostal church in Australia that's just become contemporary. We need to see a fresh move of the Spirit in such a way where we see tongues, interpretations of tongues, and prophecy, and healing, and wisdom, and miracles, and all these things happening because Jesus is amongst us and the Spirit of God is moving amongst us. That's why we don't need lights camera flashing things we just need more of him we need to stand you know some of these things i'm preaching to the converted i know that some of these things are like well dirt him that's why i'm here we need to be a people that stand upon the word of god there are so many that are departing from the word of god so many paul wrote to timothy and he said all scripture can you say all scripture can you really say all Scripture? All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Word of God is the Word of God. That's what I learned in my Baptist Bible college, and I said, Amen. It's not the Word contains it. The, word, the Bible is. It is the Word of God. All Scriptures God breathed. He breathed on it. We need to be a people of conviction that stand upon the Word of God and said, we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. The body ministering. You know, you're all ministers. You're all in ministry. We minister to the Lord. We, we minister to others, to our family. We're all called to ministry. The grace, the gifts, the varied grace, it says in 1 Peter, the varied grace, the different portions of grace, everyone has been graced and gifted to minister. The problem is that we compare ourselves with other people or we compare people with other people when we just need to be who we're meant to be. And if we do that, if we understand that, we'll start to see the body not only minister, but we'll start to see us work together and move in the same direction. You know, there's, there's so much. The restoration of the Ecclesia, which I read about last week, the family of God, the people of God. Christianity is not individualistic at all. Yes, you have a personal born-again experience with Christ, but you know what? Then it becomes about, what's well, about Him, <laughs> but it's about us. Sometimes we read in Scripture and we read, we read something We, like we read the word you, and because it's just written in our English language, we go, oh, that's me. And we don't take the time to go, oh, hang on a minute, that you is actually plural. It's actually not about me, it's actually about us. In 1 Peter 2, it says, you 
are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. See, none of, the, none of that's individualistic. A people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have to break down the barriers more and more in our thinking and in the church structures in this nation that we would see ourselves as family more and more rather than I just attend church and then I go home and I wait till next Sunday if I don't have something better on. Because we see in the early church that they live life together. To put it in Bundaberg's language today, they go out for coffee with, with people. And they talk about Jesus and they'd encourage each other. They'd meet in their homes. They'd break bread in their homes. They would invite people over for meals. There would be all kinds of different things. But it wasn't that it was a lifestyle. And, it, and in the midst of that, Jesus was in the midst of it. We see it in Scripture. Jesus was in the midst of it all. And that's why we read, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Because they were in a meeting in a coffee shop. Well, they weren't meeting in a coffee shop. But, you know, because we're meeting in a coffee shop and we're talking about Jesus and, and we're even, whoa, praying for each other. And someone overhears something. And all of a sudden, there's a conversation gets striked up. See, the Lord added, when Jesus said, when I am lifted high, I will draw all men to myself. It's not just a principle about the cross. It's a principle about when we lift Jesus high and are not ashamed of the gospel, but we live it out 24-7, he will draw people to himself. You see, for too long... For too long, the church has been consumer-focused, and that's one of the things the Lord spoke to us about. What can I get out of it? I didn't get anything out of that today. Thank you. And sometimes I'm a bit naughty. And I say little things like, well, maybe it wasn't for you, it was for the person sitting next to you. But it's true, isn't it? Because if we have this consumer mentality, what am I getting out of it? Then if, if Jesus is not the focus and we're not really truly open, we go, well, I didn't really get anything out of that. But maybe the person next to you is sitting there and they're getting breakthrough. Maybe they're getting healing. Maybe they're getting encouragement. Maybe they're getting hope. And one says, if, you know, if one rejoices, we should all rejoice. Okay, I'm not going to focus on myself. I'm going to focus on Tanya. I'm going to focus on Ollie. I'm going to focus on Wendy because all of a sudden they've got joy on their faces. You see, we've got to get out of the consumer mentality because biblical Christianity was what, what can I give? You know, we know the verse. It's been one of our verses from the start in John 13. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. And by this love, all men will know that you are my disciples. By the manifestation of that love. And we have to understand it as biblical love, not worldly love. And I think there's a whole message in there because we get the two confused. 
Biblical love carries weight. Biblical love carries accountability. Biblical love carries truth and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus said, by the love that you have for one another, people will know that you are my disciples. You know, but love is not, it's a verb. It's, it's an action. It's not just something we feel, it's something we do. For God so loved the world that he gave. Whilst we were still, still sinners, Christ died for us. It's an action. There's, a, there's an action involved. Is there an amen to that? So we read in 1 John 3.16. Most of us probably know John 3.16. But we probably don't know 1 John 3.16 as much. It says this is how we come to know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in words or speech but with actions and in truth. You see, we're all called to that. We all have a part to play. We can't just leave it to somebody. We can't just leave it to somebody else. We all have a part to play. So my question is, how can you love the person that's sitting behind you, in front of you, well, if I say beside you, it's probably a family member or a friend. So, you know, but how can you do that? Show it with actions and in truth. For too long, the church is hid behind the walls. But yet biblical Christianity says the kingdom of God has come near. That's what Jesus said. Go. Go. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. That's why I love the new banner on our trailer that Matt takes out. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. You see, Jesus said, he said to his disciples, and he says to us, he says, you are the salt of the earth. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Maybe you need to say, I am the salt. If the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. There's so much about salt. Salt heals, salt uh, perseveres, preserves, (laughs) wrong per per word. Salt, Salt preserves, salt heals, so many healing principles. You know, we are the people of God and the culture of the kingdom is so different to the culture of this world. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the, you know, that is part of our salt. That is part of what we carry. And then he goes on to say that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Are we a city on a hill? The church, the people of God are meant to be a city on a hill. That we're not hiding what we carry, but we're letting it shine out for everyone to see. Because Paul said to the church in Corinth, he says, you are the aroma of Christ among those who are perishing. To some you are death and to some you are life. That is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is, is to release the aroma of Christ. Our responsibility is to be the light. And some will cringe from it and some will come to it. No one 
lights a lamp and put it, puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And the people said, for too long the message preached has been worldly. And, and, and you know that I'm just generalizing here, don't you? Thank you. Give me some grace in that. Motivational rather than biblical. We read this about the last days, don't we? And this is why we need to be people of the Word and Spirit. We, we, we have to be. There is no other way to walk other than being people of the Word and Spirit. Paul said to Timothy, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Well, I'm like, Wow. So that means that sometimes you're going to preach the Word and people are going, yeah. And sometimes you're preaching the Word and people are going, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. I was talking to someone during the week about someone that they knew about who was preaching the Word of God, and they were preaching, and they were in a church set up where the, where the elders could come and just expel you. And the elders came and said, we don't like your preaching, you're gone. But the fellowship was going, we love it, because this person's actually preaching the Word of God. But the elders were like, no, we don't like this, because you're ruffling our feathers, you need to go. You see, people will not put up with sound doctrine but will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And they will turn away from hearing the truth and they will turn aside to myths. We don't want to turn away from the truth. We're hearing awesome testimonies and communion messages and things about Jesus. About Jesus healing, about Jesus delivering, about Jesus transforming. It's about Jesus, the truth of the gospel. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I often find myself back and I did. I actually I actually got out my journal from I actually got out my journal from eight years ago. And I actually got out my I have another little book which I put messages and things in. I got that out from seven years ago. And I started to have a bit of a read about the things that God had me sharing eight years ago and seven years ago. And I found myself back in the book of Isaiah time and time again. Isn't it funny? I found myself in Isaiah 58. I, I won't take too much longer today because we do have next week as well. I, I, I found myself in the book of Isaiah in chapter 58, which talks about fasting. And here were God's people going, we fasted God, look at us. But there was unforgiveness, there was bitterness, there was quarreling, there was all kinds of stuff. But they were doing it as a religious duty. Look at us, God. We've ticked the box. Look at us. And God's going, what on earth? He addresses that stuff. He addresses the quarreling, the strife, the contention. He addresses that. And then he goes on to say, isn't this the kind of fast that I have chosen? You know, we... Our lives, yes, we fast and yes, we pray, but our lives are meant to be fasted to God. We don't just set aside a time only 
but our lives are meant to be set apart for God. Is there an amen? He said, isn't this the kind of fast I've chosen to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Doesn't that sound like the ministry of Christ? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the poor and homeless into your home, to clothe them when they're naked? Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your healing will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. What a great passage to dig into. This is the ministry of Christ. It's the ministry of the church, spiritually breaking yokes, setting people free, breaking these things off them, but at the same time doing the practical, putting clothes on people, feeding people, loving people. It's the ministry of Christ. We need the practical and we need the spiritual. And that's what we see in the book of Acts in chapter 6, when the, when the numbers of disciples were increasing rapidly and there became a complaint against the apostles because they said, we're being overlooked for the food. We're being overlooked in the distribution of food. And the apostles went, you know what? That's actually right. But we need to keep doing what we're doing. So we're going to find seven men full of the spirit and wisdom. And we're going to turn this practical thing over to them. You see, once again, it was the spiritual and the practical. But serving is not lesser. Practical is not lesser. Somewhere in our thinking we've got, oh, well, if I'm not doing that, I'm lesser. These men were full of the spirit and wisdom, and they were waiting on tables. Do we, do we get that? They were full of the spirit and wisdom, and they were waiting on tables and distributing food. It's not lesser. But the ministry of Christ was both. Then I found myself, as I said back in my journal, I found myself in Isaiah 60, and I actually shared about Isaiah 60 on that first Sunday in the hot box of Coronation Hall. But we started in Coronation Hall because it's a good name. Coronation, we proclaim Jesus as King in Bundaberg in Coronation Hall. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises over you. For look, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord will shine over you and his glory will appear. And nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. You know, we are glory carriers. Sometimes we talk, Nick was talking about just getting back to basics. Sonia was talking about getting back to basics. Sometimes our lives get so cluttered that we miss the basics. You could go through your fridge sometimes. Have you ever been through your fridge and you go, what on earth is all this rubbish in here? Like there's bits left over that didn't get eaten. There's little blocks of cheese that are stuck down the back. There's half-eaten things. There's half-drunk drinks. And you're trying to get something that you want to get to, but your fridge is just full. Yeah, okay, our fridge is like that sometimes. But it gets so cluttered. It gets so cluttered. And sometimes our lives get so cluttered. And that's why it's important for us to set to push the reset button sometimes. Because you know what? I didn't mean this, but my life has got too busy. I didn't mean this, but we're too busy. I didn't mean this, but I'm carrying stuff that I shouldn't be carrying. And sometimes you've just got to push the reset button and get rid of some stuff that you shouldn't be carrying and get back to basics. And that's what God is doing. It's what God is doing. 
that we would rise and shine the glory of God. You know, I, I had a dream when we first started Restoration Center. I had many dreams. But it was a practical dream. It was a simple dream. And the dream was this. If everybody gave two hours a week to serve someone else, I reckon we'd struggle to find things to do. Do you know what I mean? Two hours a week. If you actually do that, it's like 1.14%. Any teachers or Josh, mathematicians, I think it's something like 1.14%. If you gave 1.14% of, of, a, of a percent outside of your work, life, family, 1.14%, one, you know, two hours a week to serve in some capacity, we'd have to find things for people to do. You see, that's the difference between consumer Christianity and biblical Christianity. And then I found myself in Isaiah 61. Yeah, how can you read Isaiah 60 without reading Isaiah 61? Well, I guess you can. But you know, the Lord, the Lord declared this in the Gospels. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He took these words from Isaiah. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You know, Bundaberg needs Jesus. Bundaberg needs Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The essence of the gospel, which we read, that people left everything to follow Jesus. Didn't they? The disciples left everything to follow Jesus. They were born again, experienced the new birth. They were taught, they were discipled, they were built up, they were strengthened, they were encouraged. Right throughout the book of Acts, we see a discipleship movement. We see disciples making disciples and being discipled. None of us have all the answers. None of us. We all have more to learn, more to grow, more to walk in, more. We see throughout the book of Acts a discipleship movement where everyone was being discipled and making disciples. And we wonder why the church grew rapidly. What would it be like if we devoted ourselves to the same kind of thing? If we found some people and said, I want to meet up with you regularly because I want you to speak into my life. I want you to share from your journey. This is why we fight for generations together. So much of the church segregates the generations and something gets lost. Biblical Christianity is family. 
in his kids, in his parents, in his grandparents. Receiving, growing, loving, learning off each other. So will we allow at this moment in time the Lord to declutter anything in our hearts and lives that needs to go? Will we allow him to remove anything that needs to be removed? Do we just sing the song, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, or is that the essence of our heart, God? I come and I bow down. I fall down. I lay my crowns down. Anything I considered gain, I count as loss for the sake of knowing Christ my Lord. Music team, if you want to come. Will we walk with the Lord and allow him to declutter our lives? That we make sure the simple things remain the simple things. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your love that never fails. We thank you for your grace, that your grace is sufficient for us. Your power is made perfect in weakness. When we come to a place and say, Lord, we can't, we know that you can. So, Lord, we need you. We need the, you can. You can align. You can declutter. You can heal. You can transform. You can. Lord, we, take, we want to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Christ. To Jesus. The one who started it and the one who finishes it. Jesus. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus. The salvation, Jesus. There is no name under heaven by which man can be saved. There is no other name. It's the name of Jesus, the name above every other name. The one who left his place in glory beside the Father and he came and he humbled himself and became a man and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore the Father exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And today, God, we say declutter our hearts, God. Heal our hearts, God. Reset, recalibrate. Do what you need to do in us at this time, that we would be set apart for you, consecrated to you for the next part of this journey. Would you align us? Have your way in us, God. We stand here in this moment and we see the goodness of God. David said, I would have lost heart except for this. I am confident that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And today we look around and we see the goodness of God. Amen. I said, we see the goodness of God. Amen. We see people that have come to know Jesus. We've seen people that have encountered Jesus. We've seen people that have experienced miracles. We've seen people that have experienced so many things. We see the goodness of God. And God, give us eyes to faith that we will see the fullness of your goodness here in Bundaberg and White Bay for your kingdom, for your glory, 
for your name we say amen let's be a people that continue to go after the restoration of all things of all things that God would align us with his plans and his purposes and his order amen let's come back to Jesus